but I think there is value. Like we talk about the root structures mm-hmm. um, and, and how like there's a whole community down there of roots mm-hmm. that trees need a community holding them just like we do. There is a path to holiness that goes right through the body. Um, and that as much as Judaism is um, communal and intellectual and so rich and so satisfying in so many ways, there's also a direct um, link from the body to God and to um, experiences of the divine. So we go on these spiritual searches or physical searches or always looking for that spark and that connection and part of the reason why we go down wrong tracks is is because we don't realize that we're built to, to run and return. Welcome to Purple Honey, a gathering of female voices where we explore how Jewish wisdom and feminine spirituality can bring sweetness to our everyday lives. I am your host, Jody Bayless. As we take our first steps into 2019, my mind turns to cycles, the moments, big and small, that we anticipate every single year, from the sentimental, like birthdays or anniversaries, to the practical, like signing up for summer camp, to returning library books. Then there's the moments, like seeing a gray hair in the mirror, or more than one gray hair, or celebrating the bat mitzvah teenager that you once held as a baby as a reminder that, oh yes, time is in fact moving. There's the moments that surprise and the moments that grieve. All are part of the cycles. My mind also turns to the space between cycles, the gray area that is between what we step away from and the destination we move towards, which often is unknown to us. As we stand at the doorstep of 2019, we're also in the middle of the lunar month of Shvat, a month that urges us to plant some seeds and anticipate greenery and growth, a month where we celebrate the birthday of trees. I like to think of questions as seeds. So some seeds we plant in this episode. What can land, water, and trees teach us about moving through and in between cycles in our lives? Can connecting our bodies to land, water, and trees help us mark cycles in our lives? Three women journey with me in conversation. I talk with Naomi Malka, director of the Progressive Community Mikvah at Addis Israel in Washington, D.C., Sharon Rosen, an embodiment coach, meditation instructor, spiritual guide, and energy healer who uses the Kabbalistic Tree of Life as a healing tool, and with Sarah Shalva, assistant director and chief programming officer at Pearlstone Retreat Center, an outdoor gathering space outside of Baltimore, Maryland, that integrates the natural world with expansive Jewish experiences. First, I talk with Naomi Malka. Naomi has been the director of the Addis Community Mikvah in Washington, D.C. for 12 years. As a progressive community mikvah, the mikvah embraces inclusion and is designated as a sacred space to support Jewish ritual life 
and the personal transitions of individuals and families in the Jewish community. In Leviticus, mm -hmm. the actual mikvah, the, the, the root, the origins of this practice mm -hmm. was um, part of the transition from being going from the wild yes. to a more composed um, ritual space, yes. the, the mishkan, the, the um, public communal yes. um, place of gathering. Can you tell us a little, just a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So um, our ancestors lived in the wilderness. They lived in encampments and in tents. And the wilderness was a place of chaos. And um, the Mishkan, like you described, is an orderly, ritualized space at the center of the, of the encampment. And Leviticus really clearly, in almost obsessive detail, lays out the order, the placement, the... Um, tongs, the forks, the bowls, the basins, um, all of which are in service of ritual sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so Leviticus is difficult on a lot of levels. It's a hard book to um, mm -hmm. internalize. It's a hard book mm -hmm. to take on, as you said, our ancestral narrative, um, because it is obsessed with um, with a kind of perfection and with um, what feels like a very narrow chimney through which the Israelites can um, invite God's presence mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. their encampment. So everything has to be in the right um, frame of mind and the right intention. And there are mechanisms in the in Leviticus for how to transition between the wilderness, the chaos of the wilderness, into the order of the Mishkan. And um, they're simple mechanisms, actually. Like, you can't just walk up to the altar where you're going to invite God's presence um, directly from an encounter out in the wild somewhere where you witnessed something that affected your spiritual energy, like seeing a dead animal or a dead body, dead human body, or a um, having a um, an encounter with blood, or um, having an, uh, some kind of bodily fluid emission of your own, things that could freak you out and change your spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. You had to transition from those into a super mindful, and um, focused state before you could go up to the altar. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just um, a ritual immersion that was one of these mechanisms. There was also um, like changing your clothes mm. or depending on what had happened to your clothes, maybe burning your clothes. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels like the, this feels just like survival. You're going from survival mode physically. Yeah. And really the need for this really set rigid order to get you into a whole different really headspace yeah um um and it they and they both and i i can't imagine i mean you know we we come to what whether it's synagogue or a ritual or, or a gathering or our family dinners mm -hmm. with what's going on at work in our minds yeah 
So it's right. th- this purification, and I can only imagine if a lion is chasing you, you know, that yeah. you might have some things on your mind. <laughs> so, right, right. So, that the adrenaline might not be finished right. coursing through your veins, right? right? So this this physical and um, you were, I mean, and and it's it feels like it's the beginnings of what you were speaking about earlier as just trying to get the, this this concept of wholeness, wholeness or holiness, mm-hmm. trying to trying to get us to that place. Mm-hmm. And so the people that had to um, transition were the ones who were actually offering the sacrifice, the ones who were doing the sacrifice service, okay. which were the Kohanim, mm-hmm. um, the, the priests, um, and the, the Leviim, the um, administrators of this space. Um, and they needed a way to focus and to train their minds to channel really powerful emotions like guilt and shame and gratitude and they're taking this on for their communities exactly okay exactly either on behalf of themselves in their home or on behalf of um, their community or on behalf of another individual who isn't in that class that cast of of offering people but um, who still had this experience or this emotion and they need it to be done for them yeah and I like to imagine women in that role as well it I, will, I love that too. Yeah. Can we imagine that? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm totally. feeling good. <laughs> and you know, in the other rituals of transition, there could also be like shaving. Okay. Think about like how your body feels different when you're unshaven versus when you're shaven, right? Um, another ritual is just sitting outside the encampment by yourself for a while. Is that meditation? Is that um, a punishment? Is that a, a, a gift? You know, I don't know, but that was part of it. And immersion. And in the Torah, it doesn't talk about, you know, immersion means seven steps into this much volume of water, and then three times you immerse and you say these blessings that start with Baruch Adonai. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say any of that. It just says to immerse. The, the specifics of how to immerse and where, um, those were later rabbinic constructs that came after the Torah. But, um, but immersion is all over Leviticus mm. as one of these ways of transitioning. Mm. This being rooted in the Torah, it makes me look at it. I'm really honing in on this transition portion yeah. of function. Yeah. And then fast forwarding, to where it feels like mikvah is going with it's it feels like it's like flowing feminine mm-hmm. um it feels like it's there's a refresh or maybe a reset on the custom itself mm-hmm. um not custom, but on the ritual itself mm-hmm. can you tell us just like what in the 12 years you've been yeah. working what have you seen flourishing and growing so yeah, absolutely. In some places and in some times and still today in some communities, mikvah is a pretty negative, shameful experience. And um, even though it is women who have power in this domain, it's still a punishment or a corrective me- uh, mechanism a punishment or a corrective mechanism for the mistake of having had a period, mm. which means the mistake of not being pregnant or nursing. Mm. So that's sort of the 
the belief system that had been holding this Oh, yeah, ritual. very tightly holding it. And so where, where's the shift? Where, so um, the shift is into um, the body itself, into body positivity, into um, transitions writ large, that there are cycles that we live on that are as natural as sunrise and sunset, and this is another way to experience this. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether somebody immerses every week before Shabbat as a way of moving out of their work week and into their rest time and their restorative time, or whether somebody is immersing once a month to acknowledge this cycle, mm-hmm. or they're immersing every year on their birthday mm-hmm. or on the anniversary of either a loss or a joyful occasion, mm-hmm. um, that um, cycles need to be marked. Cycles are crying for us to acknowledge them and mark them. Yeah. And in places where you have a progressive mikveh, you can do that with joy you know we have to we have to practice our Judaism with joy like that to me is is the the prime yeah uh, directive here the body is the ritual object the water is the medium right but the body is all you need in order to do this you don't have to have inherited a set of candlesticks from a grandparent you don't have to have purchased something in the synagogue gift shop you don't have to have gone to Israel and bought something or found something there to bring it back like you your body is the ritual object here and mm. that frame for this really puts um, I think women's bodies and girls bodies especially into a really powerful light because it's not about how you look at all. It's about what you do. It feels like yeah. the, the cycles are begging us to collaborate with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and using water as the medium to sink in to the cycle. What, in your experience, what does water do? <laughs> <laughs> look, water sustains us, right? We need it for so many things. In our daily lives, we see what happens when we don't have water, mm-hmm. um, where people don't have access to safe, clean drinking water or mm-hmm. water for bathing or for any any of their personal functions or their society doesn't have it for, for transportation or industry. Things just don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so part of immersing in a mikveh is acknowledging also mm. that we have it here, that we, that we have it in abundance, that we have rain, um, and, uh, and we have fresh sources of water, and that we shouldn't take it for granted. And um, again, it's a, a touchstone to creation itself mm. and to the like fact of, the defining fact of life on Earth, mm. that Earth is a water planet. You know, when you see it from outer space, that's what you're seeing is the blueness of, of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, water is also a, um, an, a natural environment for us. It's not our habitat. Mm. We're land creatures, really. Like, we need it for, for this mm-hmm. and for that, but we can't stay in the water all the time. We're not fish that live in it, and we're not even 
the, the ones that go back and forth between amphibians, mm-hmm. right? We're not even that. Like, if we stay in the water too long, our skin gets all pickled, mm-hmm. right? It's a liminal space for us. Mm-hmm. And liminal spaces are really rich for um, feeling and for meaning and for ritual. Mm-hmm. The chuppah is a liminal space. The mm-hmm. sukkah is a liminal space. Mm-hmm. Like when people come to the mikveh around um, struggles with uh, fertility, mm-hmm. It's the mix is not magical. The water is not going to, you know, presto magico make something happen right. that um, isn't already going uh-huh. on. It's about intention yeah. and setting an intention and finding a source of strength. Right. Um, and I think that the water um, itself, as a ritual object and as a symbol and the medium of water, um, is so powerful there because. Water has been on planet Earth since the beginning of time. Like, right. whether you believe in evolution or creation, everybody has an understanding that life came out of the water. Mm-hmm. The Torah, um, in the second verse of the Torah, um, the, the beginning of life on Earth is described as um, the face of God hovering over the dark waters. Mm-hmm. That's what our ancestors understood to be you know, pre-human existence on Earth. It's like there's a beach at night and there's nowhere to stand, which is actually really a creepy image and really Mm -hmm. scares me, Mm -hmm. right? Then they go on to describe, well, then light hits the water, right? And what happens when light interacts with water? Mm -hmm. And then all of the things that are created Mm -hmm. um, come out of the water, the the dry land and the vegetation Mm -hmm. and the life and the different stages of life and all that. Um, But when Mm -hmm. we ritually enter water um, and then we do this very ancient um, set of steps Mm -hmm. when we're in it, it connects us to that, like, that moment or that era of the beginning of life on earth Mm. and so no matter what we're going through whether it's extremely extremely painful or extremely joyful like to have that touchstone to come back to is amazing Mm -hmm. and it's 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 a really powerful experience Mm -hmm. and so it it sounds like this shift for you personally as somebody who holds in uh, in operates this space was practicing it yourself in a certain context in a certain in in particular cycles in your own life and then having it just open up into grief infertility life um, holding space for those really really difficult places yeah um and this um you know we we were just down in the together Mm -hmm. in the newly renovated mikvah which um, set to open right now, January 30th-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, January 30th is okay, January 30th. our um, rededication ceremony okay. called Mayim Bisason. And um, we shared some like joy and excitement in being in that space in that um, it, it and, and I'm thinking of the space we were just in, that it had this flow to it. It had natural elements of stone and wood and images of, we said, you know, potential images of moonlight and all kinds of light. And this is sort of like the image you were just describing in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, 
um, I know I had commented in the space, and I always feel in the, in my three times at that in the mikvah here have felt um, that it's like a cavernous it it's like a cavernous place that holds quietness, yeah, deep, deep, deep quietness, and 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 maybe that's what we're all yearning for, especially mm. this woman in grief or in, mm-hmm. in, in, in all the times of our lives. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking to my personal experience in mikvah. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel the experience too was um, holiness linked to wholeness, mm. where in, in the times I went, two of them were related to the birth of my daughter, mm-hmm. my daughters. Um, one was the process of transitioning from weaning one was the um process of just at when my first daughter was nine months old I just felt like I carried her for nine months so you know let's yeah. let's go at nine months to mikvah and then the third experience which is 18 months total right I didn't get yeah yeah which is a so high yeah the life that you gave her was in you and then of you for 18 months so there's wholeness right there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah. And that came from an impulse. So clearly, yeah. we can connect to this impulse. Yeah. And in the mikvah water experience itself, can you actually just walk us through... And the ritual. The ritual itself. Sure. And in your new space, I will, just uh, yeah. how you've created this flow, too, into the waters, this yeah. process. Yeah, so I haven't actually immersed in the new space, so I'm trying to picture how that would be also. <laughs> So the ritual starts with um, physical preparations that help um, not only get your body ready for you to immerse, but also um, help you transition from the outside world into the water. So you wouldn't just walk into the water and walk down the stairs without going through um, some steps of preparation. and. Those um, mostly involve taking everything off, taking off anything that can come off. If something is um, on your body and part of your body and it can't come off because it helps your body function correctly, then it stays on. Um, if you have a tattoo, that can't come off, so that stays on, obviously. Um, but if you have jewelry on that can be removed, um, barrettes, um, contact lenses, things that would um, in some way um, be a barrier between the water and you. And you, and, and that just step itself feels like a disrobing. Yeah. And we, you know, as we were talking about putting meaning to things, we also add our identities to those things. We convey so much of who we think we are, mm. our egos, right, mm. that we're projecting into the world. We convey that through our adornments and mm. our clothing and our shoes and our mm. bags and all that, right? So Everybody all that. does it, right? right? Even right. if you're like anti-brand or whatever. Right. It's just joyful, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. And, and so all that goes away. Right. And then step one. you're a human. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's scary. Like, I, I, I understand also that, like, there's, I'm, I'm describing steps that require great vulnerability mm-hmm. on people's part. Like, this mikvah is located into a, in a synagogue. This mikvah is located in a synagogue. And just walking into a synagogue can provoke extreme anxiety for some people, mm-hmm. right? Then, on top of that, going to 
uh, a room downstairs where you take off your clothes, oh my gosh, like the levels of, of um, response that that's going to trigger in some people. Uh, it's not possible for some people. Like I understand mm-hmm. um, why this seems remote. Mm-hmm. And it's, I just say just from my own experience, I hadn't thought about it until you framed it that way of I'm going to the space and am I like at a clothing store because I'm taking my clothes off. You know, like what yeah. are the references of where I would publicly take my clothes off? Right, right. What are the yes. gender ramifications of this? Mm-hmm. Like whose space is this? Is this a women's space? Is it a men's space? What, like how is it divided? Mm-hmm. All those things that, um, those kind of unasked questions that are there in like dressing rooms or public restrooms or things like that. Mm-hmm. Like those things kind of dissolve once you mm-hmm. arrive at the mikveh. It, our mikveh is a single um, space, and so it's, um, it's for everyone. It's not divided. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some mikvehs have either you know, men's areas and women's areas or men's hours and mikvehs hours, so it's divide, um, men's hours and women's hours, so it's divided um, by time. But here, it's just one space. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is actually called a progressive community mikvah, correct? Yeah. Okay. And is, and is that just sort of that indication of all-inclusive? Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And so the next step after showering. So the next showered. step, right, <laughs> after um, removing all of our artifice and showering, and showering in a way that um, conveys uh, love and appreciation of our bodies. And also the acknowledgement that, you know, as I said before, like our bodies are our vehicles of doing good in the world and our, um, and our connection to God and our connection to holiness. Mm. And so to shower or bathe with that mm. mentality is really different than our regular daily shower routine yes right although you could bring some of this into it yes right some I've of that talked... mindfulness yeah absolutely it's interesting when I um had gone to the mikvah too in my, in my experience it because it was around childbirth or or weaning or whatever um I took in my imagination that I was bathing my own child mm. I mean but it was myself so I was taking the care the level of care wow and um which was a completely different shift beautiful yeah yeah I love that Um, so after this very caring Mm -hmm. loving bathing um, process then um, there are seven steps that go down from the um, preparation area to the water itself and seven is a big number in Judaism. Mm -hmm. It's usually a symbol of wholeness and completion, right? So there's the six days of creation and the seventh day of Shabbat. There's the um, seven weeks in between Passover and Shavuot. Mm -hmm. Um, There are um, lots of sevens, the seven times um, that Mm -hmm. um, uh, people will encircle each other under the chuppah. Is there the seven-year rest of the trees? Is that seven? Shemitah. Shemitah. It's all based on sevens and 49s. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's when we do not um, uh, pick, we do not harvest from trees after the, when the tree is in its seventh year. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. 
So seven's a big one for us. <laughs> um, so there's seven steps that go into the water, and it's about four feet deep. Mm. I'm short, and it comes up to about my chin, so I can stand in it. The water is heated. It's nice and warm. It's supposed to feel good. Mm. Um, and it is a mixture of rainwater that we collect from the roof um, and regular filtered purified tap water. And um, there is enough room in the mikveh to stretch out your arms, and um, you could even buoy up and float completely. I think even a taller person than I could could um, float without touching any of the sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the core of the ritual is um, immersing three times. And the first immersion symbolizes the past and what we're moving away from and where we're coming from. The second immersion symbolizes this moment right here, right now in this water. And the third immersion symbolizes the future and where we're headed and what our intention is. Mm-hmm. So there are blessings um, that can be read in between, before and after. Um, people can add more immersions if they want to. They can add more blessings or readings or poems or words or chants. Um, uh, what I love about it is that you can't mess it up. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, and this sounds like the fun place, the place you can play. Oh, yeah. Where with the poems and the the insertions and all of your you can adorn the ceremony yourself. Oh, yourself. absolutely! And you offer is it through um, these cer- these ceremonies from Maim Chaim? Yeah, Maim Chaim is a really beautiful um, mikveh and education center in Newton, Massachusetts, and um, we use a lot of their resources here and in our teaching, and um, they have come up with. Um, a set of like 40 or 50 different ceremonies for mikveh use and they're on all different occasions so everything from um, 40th birthday celebration Mm -hmm. to um, one uh, for the occasion of receiving difficult news Mm -hmm. Um, from becoming a uh, bar mitzvah Mm -hmm. Um, to um, marking Erev Yom Kippur, mm. the night before uh, the Day of Atonement. Mm. So um, all kinds of moments on the Jewish life cycle and on the human life cycle, on the calendar cycle, um, can be marked. And Maim Chaim has done a, a really gorgeous um, set of these that we use here. We are um, also going to be um, training ourselves as mikvah guides that you um, hopefully will be a part of mm-hmm. to um, co-create ritual with people um, yes. who, for whom the, um, the ceremony that we have may be a really good jumping off point, but mm-hmm. then they want to personalize it even more. Next, I talk with Sharon Rosen. Sharon is an embodiment coach, meditation instructor, spiritual guide, and energy healer. Sharon supports individuals through one-on-one coaching, supporting them to access stillness, connect to and listen to the quiet at their center, 
and to sit in their center where wisdom lies. Sharon draws from Jewish mystical tradition, using the energetic qualities of the tree of life, the blueprint to life as a healing tool. What what is it in your work that has rooted you and continues to root you um, over the years since you've been doing this for so long? You know, what has... Um, what continues to draw you deeper and deeper into this work? Mm, it's a great question. Um, well, I, I kind of want to begin by saying that I've always had a relationship with trees, that I, I've always really resonated with and related to trees and actually had trees that I considered friends. So when I encountered Kabbalah and the the tree of life, I thought, how perfect, because it's been such a powerful symbol for me. And actually, the tree with its roots was the very first image that I had on my very first business card as a massage therapist. Nothing to do with, with Kabbalah that I knew of, but um, so there's something for me about the concept of rooting down and also lifting up that mm. just very um it's very healing and grounding for me it's very centering um that you can that you can be tossed about by winds of change but if your roots are deep and solid you're not going to get knocked over mm. so that symbolism you know for me in my life um since I was a child. And um, when I encountered Kabbalah and the, the healing work that I learned how to do, um, and I did go through a specific training called the Society of Souls with a wonderful teacher named Jason Shulman, um, one of the very first things that I heard him say is that we're not here to learn how to ask better we're not here to find answers we're here mm. to learn how to ask better questions and to live into the questions mm. and that was really helpful and meaningful for me because you know I'm a human being like most human beings and you know we want answers we want to know things we want things to kind of be you know codified and um, delineated and there's so much power in resting in the questions and um, being in relationship with the mystery that I find is not, um, it's not very common in our society yeah. and even in the realm of spiritual whatever, you know, spiritual teachings. It's, it's, also, it's yeah. a lot about, like, finding answers. So there's something for me about living into the questions and, and then having this sense of being rooted but also uplifted. Yes, and, you know, and hearing you say... Um, living into the questions, you know, I was, rem I'm reminded in, in the conversation I had around mikvah ritual immersion, we talked about that, the process of, of immersing in water in a train, oftentimes people are drawn to that ritual in, um, a life transition, um, yeah. big and small. And we talked about that ritual as existing in like a liminal space mm -hmm. in, in this 
So it feels like the way I'm hearing you describe this image of rooted and reaching up and living into questions, also it, it strikes me as that liminal space, the tree. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, and in the in the Kabbalistic tree, which I don't know if your you know listeners may or may not have seen an, an image of that, actually the roots are in heaven and the fruits are in this world, in the manifest world. So what we see in, in that pictographic image of the three columns and the lines uh, connecting all the spherot, the different circles that uh, are qualities of God and energe energetic outpicturings of, of reality, um, the bottommost part is actually the fruit, and that's Malchut, and that's, that is a place of um, creation and not knowing and liminal space and anything is possible because of the light that's coming down from the source through the tree. In Jewish mystical tradition called the tree of life, yes, it's like inverted. Yes. And so the, the roots are at the top. And the top meaning the roots are um, reaching upwards towards the, the towards the sky, the towards the ineffable, towards the, the Ein Sof, which is the limitless light of the the creative force. Mm, so the roots are in that creative force. Yes. And then the the fruit is what would be like in the soil. Uh Yes, or, it's or not... not in the soil, in in this physical plane. Mm, okay. What is what is possible to come into being? You know, trees, rocks, mm. people, houses, chairs, tables. Yes. Okay. And it's it feels like a different orientation in our way of being because we're again it's that it's that image of something is guiding us above that's unlimited and yeah. yet and and something flows through us to manifest to create exactly it, which really nothing can can hold form it just in the in the view of that light so the tree allows for sort of a step down of the light until it reaches the base, Malchut, which is manifestation, and but yet there still has to be some light because the light of the Creator is in absolutely everything that exists, which means God, like nothing can exist without a spark of the divine in it. Does this healing, using the tree of life as a as a healing image? Well, I guess I should step back and ask, you know, what that offering entails, like even walking us through what the healing is, what, what the healing offering entails, and then what shifts have you seen, perhaps as it relates to, you know, like regulating our rhythm or finding our inner rhythm? Hmm. So the, the sessions themselves are... A conversation, a sacred conversation where I'm listening and I'm listening 
if this makes any sense, I'm listening through the tree. I'm listening with the qualities of the sephirot, the, the different aspects of the tree in mind. And, of course, you know, very specific way of understanding them and training and um, relationship with, with the tree. I think that's the thing I most love that I got from my mm. tree. Really, I used to look at pictures of the tree in books, and I was trying to memorize what the different spherot were and what their qualities were. And it, you know, you can't learn Kabbalah from a book. So my my teacher really gave me, brought the tree alive inside of me, and mm. listen to someone. And people, you just come and you, you know, talk about whatever's up for you, whatever is present. Um, and in listening. That way, I'm hearing, just as you're tying certain threads together in our conversation, I'm hearing how what they're presenting and how they're presenting it, where that sits in the tree. Mm. And the the healings themselves are, they're of a, a resonant quality. So when I determine where the person is kind of most fundamentally out of balance or what what aspect mm. of the tree it's, it's all holographic so the within each sphera on the tree is a whole tree and within each sphera of that tree is a whole tree so everything is is connected um, and what and what what is? Can you explain what is a, is a sephira or sephira? Sephira. Single is sephira, and uh, all of them are sephirot. So they are emanations that are the qualities of God <clears throat> that are also qualities in us. We're created in the image and likeness of God. That's not a physical thing. That's an energetic thing and um, so for instance there's uh, Chokhmah which is wisdom and Bina which is understanding and Teferet which is beauty and Chesed which is loving kindness and Gevorah which is awe and restraint and there's a central column and there's a right and a left column and so certain of the sphera that sit opposite each other on the tree, the left and the right column. For instance, hesed, which is loving kindness, which is also flooding, it's unboundaried. It's just this kind of mm. endless flow, which is beautiful, but an endless flow of water is a flood. You know, an mm. endless flow of love can feel smothering. And opposite that on the tree it's Gavora. Gavora is awe, restraint, strength, right? The mighty arm of God, right? So if somebody is presents with a little too much or out of balance, Gavora, they're like overly strict. They make up rules just so they can try and control an unruly world. So you want a good balance. You want a good flow, a good relationship between Hesed and Gavora. And so if you're working with somebody who might, there, you might see a relationship between, there might be a deficiency or a lack of flow um, in one area and perhaps, you know, an overabundance in another, 
then how, um, how, what is the journey to kind of balance that out? The, it, well, so some of it is through our conversation and how I'm reflecting and listening and um, engaging with them and mm-hmm. pointing, pointing them towards things in their lives that they may want to look at. And there is an actual, I mean, the whole session is the healing, but there is an actual healing that happens at the end where I hold the rectified state of the spherot that mm. we're, that's where we've landed in that session. And mm. it's, it's as if I become a human tuning fork for the rectified state through you know, what I've been trained to do, which I can't really explain to people um, in a way that would make sense, but I'm basically holding within myself this rectified state, which then, because it's as if I've struck a like a a tuning mm. fork, yeah, it's going to resonate into that person's field, into their tree, into their being, and it's. It's so interesting, like, and and sometimes it can be subtle. Somebody once, we were working a lot in that area of of Hesed and Gavora, and they weren't sure that anything was really shifting, but all of a sudden they were cleaning out these closets that they'd been thinking about cleaning out for years. (laughs) Yeah. To me, so much of it is about um, really trusting your essential okayness. Mm. Like so yeah. simple, so challenging. Mm-hmm. Like you really are good enough. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> in this collective conversation with you and these other and two other women, there was also the conversation of just symbolism, um, symbolic pieces all around us, and it feels like the tree may offer the physical tree even when we're talking sort of about the metaphysical tree but the tree itself may also give us um it's that body language we were talking about earlier even um, yeah. but tree body language perhaps are, are there any clues do you feel that a tree is trying to tell us that we're okay oh wow i've never thought about that although that's so interesting what a what a great question I I wrote something long ago. I finished a meditation. It was this time of year. The trees were bare. And I was looking, and I, I live in the middle of the woods, so I look out my window, and there's just trees. It's beautiful. And, mm-hmm. um, and, like, I'm missing the green, but they're not missing the green. Like, they are where they are. They're they're bare, but they're not like naked is as good as clothed. Bare is as good as green. And there was something about that that just kind of struck me. It's like the trees are fine just the way they are. They're there. They're solid. And you know they're not rushing to get back to when are we going to get? I mean I'm assuming. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm I'm just figuring that they're just trusting that when it's time for new buds, the time will come, and you can't push it, and you you know longing for it doesn't really help. Mm. Usually, I am 
you know, by February, I'm longing for green in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the trees That's are fine. so beautiful. That's so, and they're, what's so beautiful, um, it's a model for us. And, and in, in the, in the celebration of Tubishvat, the birthday of trees, what's, what kind of honors that, what you were just describing is that we're now looking at, we're still looking at barren trees. We're still looking at, there's no greenery, um, yet the sap inside the tree is just starting to bubble up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's life, there's stuff going on that we're not seeing. It's not obvious. And this actually leads to um, another, one of my, another curiosities, which I think we're, we're basically talking about in this part of our conversation, which is how can trees connect us to time or help us sink into time? And it, it just seems like, yeah, just this observation of their cycles we're, we're witness. It's almost like we're bearing witness mm. to trees. Yeah. And if we allow ourselves to really be present and in relationship with them, I think they do have a lot to teach us. And I know mm. there's this, I'm just rem- remembering, I haven't read it yet, but there's a book that came out this year, I believe, about how trees communicate. Mm. But I don't remember what the exact name of it is but it's something like that like how trees communicate or there's this whole you know underground system through which they're communicating with each other all the time so for me a lot of times it's just that remembering yes you know to not sit here and go oh what was me winter's so long i love living where i live but gee winter's so hard and so long but if i actually like drop out of my head and into my body and soften my eyes and look at the trees and be, just be open to relating with them. It it is very nurturing and healing and grounding. Next, I'm talking with Sarah Shalva. Sarah is the Assistant Director and Chief Programming Officer at Pearlstone Retreat Center, an outdoor gathering space outside of Baltimore, Maryland, where individuals, groups, and families can connect to the land and to each other through retreats, celebrations, and other programming. Individuals and families visiting Pearlstone get to enjoy rolling hills, an organic educational farm, and hiking trails. At Jewish holiday retreat, overnight, and day summer camps, and family camp, Pearlstone creates expansive Jewish experiences that are integrated with the natural world. So we can jump in and I can talk a little bit about um, a ritual that we do in my house on birthdays, which is um, not generally connected to nature, but can be. It's certainly connected to birth. And um, so I have two children, one who is 10 and one who is almost 13. And at at their birthday, every year I tell them their birth story. Um, And and we go through like... uh, from labor to delivery and talk about how we felt and um, how excited we were to meet them. And um, and I think that like storytelling can be incredibly powerful and that telling them their own story is like very deep. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so we do that every year. They ask for it. They're excited about it. It's the same story. Maybe little details change because our memories change. Mm. Um, 
Um, but but that's a ritual. Talking about our own bodies as as uh, places of creation and with our own children as like. I was pregnant with you. You were in my body. I created you just like God created the world. Like there's, um, there are so many, uh, ways of talking Mm. about, um, creation and how we're doing God's work in creation and how birth is a process of that. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I feel Mm -hmm. very, um, like it's it's a ritual that I, that we, I don't even know where we got it, but I'm really happy with it. So, and I think everyone should do it. And I think it's Jewish. I should say that. I think it's a really Jewish ritual to tell your kids their birth story. Um, and, and I don't, I don't infuse it with Jewish language, but I could, I could mm-hmm. talk about the value of Betel and Elohim and like what it is to, to, to be in God's image and how women have a, a unique and special role in the act of creation. We couldn't do it without men for sure, but, but like, we are engaged in divine and godlike work. So my daughter Avital was born at home, and the midwife missed the birth, but she got there for the afterbirth. And so when she opened, like when the my placenta, Avital's placenta came out, she opened it for us, and the the vein structure inside the placenta was a full on a time like tree of life, like it looked like it could have been on in a synagogue, like on a it was that's yeah deep that is like it was crazy i wish we had a picture of it like, mm-hmm. i wish we had we had i mean in the moment we were a little bit in the moment and what all what was also interesting in hearing you talk about of the how you talk you talk about body parts and their birth as um what, what were you um as like a way into this story. And it just reminded me too of like, I my, I have two daughters, four and seven, and like, it's not like, all, we don't talk about my boobs all the time, but like, it's definitely like naturally to say like, yeah, you drink from my boobs. Yes. And, and um, uh, this like biological working system that's called our bodies, it's like part of that story. Yes. And like holding that language away from, like daily conversation, just not forcing the conversation, but like if it comes up, mm-hmm. it does like something, a pulse is maybe missing, a dynamic yes. is maybe missing. Yes. So your son's bar mitzvah is going to be on, on Tubi Shvat. Yes. And what are the pieces are, um, that's coming up. Yeah. So, so we're doing it at Pearlstone and it's, it's, um, Sunday to Monday. So we're not doing, um, uh, a Shabbat service, a traditional Shabbat service. However, we really see the the bar mitzvah experience as a rite of competency. So there are certain stuff. There's certain stuff we want him to learn. So um, we're doing a Tuba Shabbat seder. He does. He doesn't need to learn that part. Like like you know, we'll probably lead it, or we'll have our friends lead it, or we'll do some. But there certainly will be um, references. You know, uh, references to the themes of Tuba Shabbat. Certainly. Um, here in different parts of America, the sap is rising in the tree, right? Like the maple syrup is coming up in, in certainly in Vermont and, and, um, um, and, uh, in Israel, I think it's the almond trees that have the sap coming up, but like so much of sap is about potential, right? You can't see what's going on on the outside, but there's all kinds of amazing things going on on the inside. And if you want to think about 
bar mitzvah or about recognizing kids at a certain age at 13 or at 12, there's all kinds of biochemical things going on in their bodies. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about this, but in the Mishnah, there is a section that talks about a child uh, becoming bar bat mitzvah when 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 their pubic hair starts, right? Mm -hmm. But that we don't really talk about the biochemical reactions or what it means to go from kid to person to grown up um, in on your body and in your body. Mm. And I don't know if we're going to incorporate that necessarily. I don't want to embarrass like our son, but I do think there's a there's a way of talking about um, tubishvat and the trees and potential that makes a lot of sense for. Um, for, for bar mitzvah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just that like the curriculum of the day school that he goes to, um, the seventh grade curriculum, there is in, in, I think English and social studies, there's this, um, notion of being an upstander, which means a person who stands up for like righteousness and set and calls out when things, when, when there's injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, Usually during a weekday, so he, he's becoming bar mitzvah on Monday. Usually you don't read anything from the prophets. You, you don't read anything mm -hmm. from the writing. You just, you just read Torah on Monday and Thursday. However, we want him to learn how to, how to do the, mm -hmm. tr the trope, like the mm -hmm. musical, the cantillation for half Torah. So we're making, <laughs> we're making him do it, but, but then what section would he do? Well, it's Martin Luther King Day, and in the letter that Martin Luther King writes from the Birmingham jail to the clergy that asked him to like stand down. He basically, he quotes from Amos that like, let, let, let righteousness stream down. I don't remember the quote. Oh, wow. But so we're using oh that, we're using, he's reading that part of the Haftorah, which I feel like is like so deeply powerful around lessons of like leadership and humanity and just being a person, right? Like that's yeah. what is, what does it mean to be a, a Jewish person in the world today? It means to like, recognize your potential, stand up for justice. Yeah. You know, what, um, what an powerful, amazing way to infuse Martin Luther King's language, his voice into. We hope we'll see how it goes. It might yeah, be so like complete chaos. Like, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll see. We'll, the intent is amazing. The intent, yes, there's intent. There's intent. I continue to talk with Sarah about Jewish connections to land and how those connections are rooted in our agricultural history. At Pearlstone, we are very engaged in experiential education mm -hmm. and in um, making sure that what we're teaching is applicable to people's lives, but it's also like you're literally in the dirt. You're yes. literally with the plants that you're, that you're harvesting. We want you to get a little bit dirty because mm -hmm. um, we think that there's a lot of value in that and that, that, um, um, that, uh, that Judaism has become sort of disembodied and we need to like, mm -hmm. um, infuse it with, um, spiritual practices that are much more integrated. Mm -hmm. So there's this program called meet the trees or meet a tree. Anyway, you blindfold them and you give them first, you say to them like, what is, what's, what's a tree do? Like what, what, what role do trees play in the world? Right? Like, like they give oxygen, they give shade, they are, um, entertainment. You can climb them. Um, you can eat from them. You can, there's like, you know, and they brainstorm all the things that trees give us paper and wood for fire. And, you know, um, it ends up being 
just that part of it, just the brainstorm ends up being this hugely educational opportunity because everybody's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, Teresa also did that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, like it's, it's a very, they can make makeup, they, you know, mm-hmm. they make a certain kind of ink. There's like trees that, you know, they're a home. Mm-hmm. They're, um, anyway, so, so, uh, um, um, you do mm. the brainstorm and then you blindfold the kids and you give them a partner and, and you take them to a tree and then they feel the tree mm-hmm. and, um, and, and you're supposed to take them to a place that's, um, uh, you know, quite wooded. You spin them around a couple times so they get a little dizzy and then you take the blindfold off and they have to go find their tree. <gasps> And it's, um, it's such a fun, you can do it with grownups too. It's not just a program for kids. And and so then they meet their tree without the sense, without the vision. Yes. And then they have to find their, use their, the sense of touch Mm -hmm. and smell or whatever. Yes. Oh wow. To find their way. And, and how do they do in general? Are able to find their, um, uh, skinny trees are harder than, than fatter trees, but it depends on the area and it depends on the kids and it depends yeah. on the age of who's doing it. Yeah. It depends on a lot of things. But um, yeah. in my professional c- career, I have been adjacent to the Jaffe movement, the Jewish outdoor food farming and environmental education movement. Like mm-hmm. I have many friends who have had very um, uh, like dynamic professional careers in this world where they learned farming and they learned food and out, how to prepare food in outdoor kitchens from farm to table. And they, um, and they, they are educators in this field, many friends. And I came to it rather later. Um, and so now I'm, I'm in it and I find it so meaningful and powerful and, and, and as a, a very, important response to technology like it's quite Mm. it's quite clear to me that our children lack nature connection that they have more fear that they are um uh not as connected with their bodies or you know there is there is something around the way time works in modern society that um that disconnects us from Mm -hmm. nature Mm -hmm. and from natural time and from the seasons. And so we have to do, we have to like educate for it. We have to be way more explicit because we're so separate from it. We can, Mm -hmm. we can go everything we need. We can get in stores, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have very few primitive skills, you know, people are now like talking about like doomsday scenarios and everybody knows a person that they could go to that's like off the grid that actually knows how to build stuff and do stuff and make stuff and grow stuff and like we have to reconnect to that the education director here rabbi psachi lichtenstein teaches about um uh the blessing that you say over bread um what you actually say is um uh that brings out hamotzi lechem min haaretz. That brings out bread from the earth. But it's not like we have bread trees, right? Mm. Like so. So in the language is baked in the whole process. And and at Pearlstone we also learn about um, the thirty nine uh, creative labors that are forbidden on Shabbat mm-hmm. and all of it, like there are so many permutations like today when we talk about Shabbat and if people are like in a really religious framework they think about like oh here are all the things you're not allowed to do on Shabbat you know but all of that is 
is, is from these 39 elemental aspects that had to do with the building and the construction of the temple, but they're also, many of them are, are agriculturally based, right? So there's this whole, um, like, uh, from, 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 um, planting through harvesting, through making bread, the, the, many of those rules or those um, things you're not allowed to do on Shabbat are tied specifically to agricultural mm-hmm. um, uh, activities. Because we were a land-based people we and land-based agriculture people, was our thing. And agriculture was our thing. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to say about that. I mean, even with the pres- the, the holiday of, of, of Pesach, Passover, for example, right? On the second day, we were supposed to bring the barley harvest and offer it to God. And you weren't supposed to really mess with the barley harvest until after you had, um, uh, you had made this offering. Um, and the counting of the Omer between Passover and Shavuot. And Omer is a measure of barley. Like the way we even think about um, Jewish practice, it's, it's so much of it is just based in agriculture, but mm-hmm. it's outside of the normal parlance and it's outside of the, you know, um, the implications of what it means to be a land-based pe- people are are um, far-reaching. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 we really took that on seriously, we would be far more involved in environmental mm-hmm. action, mm-hmm. right? Like Jews would stop using paper towels. We would use all cloth napkins. We would. There are certain behaviors that we would take on. We would all be composting. We would all be figuring out ways of like having. Um, you know, getting, getting knowledgeable about, about, um, herbs and edibles, edible plants, not edible edibles, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there, there are, um, so many ways we can express our lineage and our ancestry around land connection. It feels like this is just waiting for us to, yes, allow it to like the blessing over the bread emerge. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like we're, we are now being asked to take these, we are a land-based people and it's like reimagining ourselves mm-hmm. as that land-based mm-hmm. people that we've evolved away from, right? evolving back into it. And what I'm hearing you say is that the holidays are all clues. They are. And reminders of our land-basedness mm-hmm. <laughs> identity. And I'm also hearing you say through the halal blessing, the land and the earth, that there are words that remind us in liturgy, in blessing, that it's all there. Yes. Just waiting for us to, I'm going to use like all of the metaphors that I can, like waiting for us to gather, waiting for us to yes. harvest it ourselves. Yes. And we, that's part of the goal here. I mean, we want people when they come to Pearlstone to connect to themselves, to connect to each other, the other people they're with, to connect to the land and to connect to the creator or, or whatever, you know, something outside themselves and then use all those connections to change the way they see the world when they leave. Um, and, um, I would say like, it's funny, um, this past summer, um, uh, one of our donors had their daughter's wedding here and she asked me to lead a Shabbat yoga hike. So it was like combining everything, you know? (laughs) And so we did some Jewish teaching. We did some yoga practice. We meandered around the educational farm. It was, um, it was really fun. It was fun. Sweaty Mm -hmm. and fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and again, it's like you get that. It's like the spiritual workout compared paired mm-hmm. with the physical, totally. And then paired with like just yeah, the the relaxation that 
just being in nature brings. Rex, relaxation is not the word that I would... <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it, we need a new lexicon, you know, mm. of language around, um, mm. around what it is to be, like, spiritually awakened in nature. But what drew me here initially, in addition to the, like, land-based, earth-based Jewish practice, was this notion of temporary communities and this idea that Pearlstone is really a sanctuary mm. where people connect, right? Like, uh, um, the other... Not not only is the modern world um, distancing us from nature, it's also making us more isolated and lonely. You know, like we raise families in complete isolation and it's just the worst. You know, like when I had my babies, my husband was a pulpit rabbi and I had the whole community sort of holding me but also judging me and it did not feel like I... Um, uh, I had people that I could really rely on in a significant way. And we, as grown-ups, don't know how to make adult friends. You know, like you get out of college or you get out of your... It's really hard. And we're all moving all the time, right? Um, um, people don't of, of, of the younger generations don't tend to stay in the same place for many years. And so what it means to build community is uh, a complicated thing. And um, when we were in Boston, we were invited to be scholars and residents at a family camp. And I, from that experience, I created a small group of young families and we would get together. It was like my attempt at creating an intentional community, but temporary intentional community that met. And I, I actually think that all, everyone, all young families should do this. They should, they should have a group of friends that they gather with and celebrate with. And we did it like we rented space in the Appalachian Trail one time, like at the, this random mm -hmm secular retreat center and we rent and we came to Pearlstone once and we came and it was this community of people that just had all been at a family camp together that decided wow like our Judaism isn't always represented in synagogue life we want to like live in community together and create services together and have a kind of like egalitarian non-authoritarian song-filled joy-filled experience with each other um in this temporary community um, but, it, but like intimate and talk about like real intellectual things and, and ideas and how to raise kids and how to manage egalitarian division of labor and marriage and all those kinds and of things. And you're doing it in the support of a beautiful setting, of a, of a supportive setting. Yes. Of that setting that feels like you're sinking into something right, right. more deep. And the last question for you is kind of circling back to the beginning as we talked about birthdays and our, you know, our mixed feelings as we, you know, in, in, um, in the advanced years, I don't want to say advanced years, but yeah, middle years, age. middle age, middle age. Yeah. Um, so this image of a tree sap and potential is really beautiful and powerful. And something I was think feeling this morning and, and thinking about was, wow, the tree sap is you know, starting to have activity in the freaking winter when it's so cold and rigid. Mm -hmm. And some of that feeling reminds me of like how I want to, I want to close off, like you want to close off and snuggle in in the winter. Yes. Sometimes that, that, that same attitude could maybe be part of that response to much mortality and yes yes so. yes the kind of like internal heat and inspiration mm -hmm. you know that there's a kind of like way to mimic the trees I I, mm -hmm. I I think that that's um that's really a beautiful idea 
Um, and so I guess cause I didn't really have a question in there, but like maybe, um, what, yeah, what piece, um, you know, it could be you personally or universally as we get in, in older into middle age, what is that bubbling piece that, that's just going to keep coming back every year? Like what is, um, an essential piece? Ooh. Um, Oh, that's such a good question. For me, I really think it's community. I think that finding um, so much over the course of my life, so much of finding my voice has been about people reminding me what my what what my contribution is. Um, the years that I stopped working in the Jewish community or was just consulting, I had so many friends that said things like, "You know, the Jewish people need you." They need your. Mm-hmm. They need y- y- what you have to say about community, about relationships, about intimacy, about authenticity, about speaking truth around how challenging it is to be a human in the world. You know, um, so for me, like, and 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 learning from the trees, the root. You know that that the the root connections that exist, um, and how really trees are holding each other up underground and we just don't see that you know mm. there's so much we don't see that 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 exists in our world that that um mm. can be powerful lessons for us particularly in the winter when it feels you're right like cold and closed off and so like our instinct is to also kind of get closed and cold off mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so um and yet the trees come back every year and their sap comes up they do they do and that I think that spiral also like the whole idea that that um that history is like a kind of like we're coming back to the same time but we are changed and the world is changed but there's a kind of like mm, cycle that's um mm, quite powerful and now for some sweet notes sweet note one The ritual of immersing our bodies in water can be powerful. It can bring us, as Naomi Malka described it for us, to a time when everything was water and fluid and in a mode of creation. Ritual immersion, where the body itself is the ritual object, also comes with a reframe, lifting away all the external and internal judgments we place in our bodies. Women's bodies that have birthed are also a story waiting to be told as reminders to our own children of their origins, similar to how Sarah Shalva so beautifully ritualizes birth storytelling in her own family. Sweet note two, trees. Their connected root systems hold up one another. Trees literally bear all in the winter, brown, skeletal, and barren, like they're saying, hey world, here I am as my most bare and basic self. And it is from this most basic treeness that sap does start to rise and things start to happen inside. Over the past six weeks as this podcast was in formation, you might say I've developed a crush on trees. I watch them all the time, And the more closely I watched trees, the more deeply I felt like I was with them. Choosing to look at a tree when racing thoughts, strong feelings, or the itch to scroll through my Instagram feed struck 
Looking at a tree redirected my mind to a more expansive, restful space. Sweet note three, cycles are begging to be marked. All it takes is for us to mark them. This year, Tubishvat coincides with the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. It's like an invitation to contemplate on what it means to stand up strong for what is right and to act. I was so inspired how Sarah Shalva and her family chose to mark their son's bar mitzvah and weave it into this time. Sweet note four, we can find liminal space, which is that space of mystery in land, water, and trees. They struck me as portals. Water was likened to creation time. The tree of life represented living into questions and being in nature points us to our roots as a land-based people. It seems like we can lean into land, water, and trees as spaces that can hold us in transitional times of our lives. So here is to marking cycles, to being with land, water, and trees, to marking cycles with our bodies, to being in the murky, in the bare spaces, and trusting that every year, the sap will bubble up once again. And speaking of marking time, it was my mom's birthday this week. So I wanna wish my mom a happy, happy birthday. I love you, mom. Thank you so much for joining me for these conversations. And to find our guests, please check out my website, www.redlentilconsulting.com, where you can find their links. Until next time, I am Jody Bayless, and this is Purple Honey. In the month of Shvat, when this is going to be coming out, mm-hmm. um, I'm understanding that song is a theme in the um, in the song of Deborah mm-hmm. and Miriam dancing, and so I'm just curious. Um, if not to put you on the spot, but if there's a tune that you sure. feel embodies uh, the mikvah experience, well, it's such a good question. So the melody that I use for the blessing on immersion is the same melody that we use for havdalah. So you might already know it. I'll sing it for you. But I use that one because havdalah is a separation. And it's transitioning between Shabbat or holiday and the work week. So um, that's why I use the Havdalah blessing. You want me to sing it? Sure. Okay. Um, so, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu Bemitzvotav Naomi, thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you.